Hey friends, welcome to Still With You Season 4. My name is Coley Browning and I am the host of this podcast, a place for sharing gold, inspiring stories with genuine friends about our faithful God. Its purpose is to uplift and celebrate His promise. He is always with you. Every week you'll catch me talking with a new friend or sipping a glass of cold brew coffee with some extra ice. And I could not think of a better way to kick off this season than by saying thank you. I always prayed this podcast would grow into multiple seasons, but watching God make it possible and having your support is beyond humbling. My hope is for you always to arrive feeling loved right where you're at and leave encouraged. I believe God wants to do more this year than we are even ready for. And part of my heart is for you to know that you are worth it. You're worth the process. You're worth the investment. We are people designed to change and fall more in love with Jesus. I'm still with you. This is just a stop along the journey for you to catch your breath, learn, and be encouraged. You are not alone. You're listening to We'll Be Alright by folk indie artist Gabrielle Grace. I am so thankful for Gabrielle's generosity in sharing this beautiful song with us. It moves me every time I listen, and I hope it does the same for you. If you would like to connect with Gabrielle, you can visit her website, gabriellemusic.net, or you can find her on social media at Gabrielle Grace. Dream her music, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your music. Again, you're listening to her song, Will Be Alright, and you're going to be hearing from her later this season. But today, I'm speaking with a friend who is greatly in impacted my life and countless others for the better. Pastor Tyler Burns serves as the lead pastor at New Dimensions Christian Center in Pensacola, Florida. He is also an author, cultural commentator, professional podcaster, television host, and president of the Witness Black Christian Collective. You might know him as a co-host of Pass the Mic with New York Times bestselling author Jamar Tisby or from the podcast Chasing Justice. Tyler also is the co-author of hip-hop artist Lecrae's latest book, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith, which was released this past fall of 2020. The first time I heard Tyler speak, he received my immediate respect. Not only did I love that he dubs the Prince of Egypt movie soundtrack as one of the best underrated albums ever, but he also shed light on a change that needed to happen in my heart. In sharing this honest, vulnerable, and important conversation, my prayer is that you would join me in learning to love less like the world and more like Jesus. Following Christ's calling for your life with bold obedience comes with risk, but it is always worth doing. And Pastor Tyler Burns is doing just that, experiencing the great risk of speaking out and following an even greater God. Without question, it is a true honor to be able to speak with this friend of mine. Please welcome to Still With You, Pastor Tyler Burns. I'm actually a little nervous walking into recording with you. Why is that? Because people love you. Like, my friends love you, and I just want to honor oh. your story. Like, I do. I want to do oh, a good this job is, in, this is fun. This, this in is, sharing. This is a cup of coffee. It's, it's a conversation. It's, it's all good. You're a great interviewer, so you're oh, going to be fine. Thank you so much. I just know that you communicate on many channels, like mm-hmm. pastoring a church, podcast, being a parent. (laughs) That's a communication you never turn off. Does that come naturally for you? Do you ever feel like you don't have words? Definitely. Um, I think everyone does. I think in God's economy, the thing that he gave me is communication. That's what he told me to do. That's the gift that he gave me. And when I was 19, I was trying to figure out my purpose. And I was going through this whole existential crisis of why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? 
you know, kind of went on a fast. And what I came away from with that is God has called me to communicate his truth clearly, beautifully, and unashamedly in all forms of media. Oh, I love that. So that's my North Star. That's my purpose statement. It's written down in multiple places in my house. It's in multiple places on my phone, everything, every device that I have, because it's my North Star. That has guided and led me. Now, what really sparked the desire to communicate was I was an only child for nine years. So you know my brother and my sister, but I was an only child for nine years. And being an only child and my father being a pastor, I was in so many contexts where I was the only child and there were dozens of adults around and they would ignore me. So I was upset. I felt a way about that. So I Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to learn and study and be able to carry on a conversation as if I were a full grown adult. So every night I would go to sleep. You know, I'd be in my bed and I'd have my covers over my head and I'd listen to hours of talk radio every night. So I listen to, I don't even remember because it was so many different ones. I would listen to ESPN radio for uh, broadcasting, sports broadcasting. I listened to religion talk, politics, cultural commentary, a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. radio dramas. And so I listened to it to number one, understand concepts that were difficult. And then number two, to learn how to communicate. I would take that and then go back into conversations and I'd make comments to adults and I'd talk to them and I'd interact with them. Did they notice? Oh, yeah. No, they did. They were like, oh, he's just so much older and wiser than his years. I just want to be seen. Like, that was it. Wow. I just wanted to be seen. It really honed and developed my ability to communicate. And out of that personal desire of approval and acceptance, God used that. God took that and used that. And so... You know, my major in college was radio broadcasting and philosophy. I was a double major. So that's kind of what I do now. But there are still times where I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't know, because I am so precise about how I want to communicate that mm-hmm. sometimes I'd rather say nothing than not say something well. Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of my mentality. That is so interesting <laughs> yeah. to hear that. Most that's... people don't know that story. <laughs> well, honestly, I love to always hear like the starting places of how people were formed and what they're doing now and their passions and their messages that mm-hmm. they're carrying, like where that started. Honestly, Do you ever feel like that now where you just sometimes mm-hmm. feel like you're not heard? Oh, all the time. I think there is a misconception that whenever you have a platform, whenever you're in a place of influence, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're a speaker, that you are heard by many people. But in reality, I'm quote unquote heard by many people, but not many people listen. Wow. And there's a difference between hearing words and listening to the heart behind something. For me, it is, I always feel like the voice crying in the wilderness. I feel like I'm, I'm more tolerated than celebrated <laughs> in many ways. And so that's been something that I've had to work through personally, and I'm still working through in the context of what God has called me to do doesn't change regardless of whether or not people listen. Even if people don't listen and mm-hmm. refuse to listen and even refuse to hear or attempt to silence me. God's call and purpose for my life hasn't changed. It hasn't altered. And it really brings me to the testimony of the prophets in the Old Testament. They were prepared to go and speak to the children of Israel or to the nations. And God prepared many of them, said, they're not going to listen to you. Hmm. They're not going to hear you. But I've still called you to go and speak. Part of that is working through your own childhood trauma and and working through your own um, blind spots and emotional gaps, mental gaps. But I still, to this day, enjoy speaking and enjoy preaching and enjoy communicating Mm -hmm. because it connects me to my purpose. My joy is there. Can you talk about being 19 and having a moment where... Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That was a moment. That was a moment. Yeah. I I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
I didn't know what I wanted to do. Now, I had already previously been called to ministry. So my call to ministry was uh, at 16 and we were at a youth conference in South Florida. When I say the Lord just laid me out. I mean, I don't know what happened. Now, before this time, I've been communicating and kind of leading people and doing things like that, serving. Like locally with your... Yeah, locally uh-huh. with school and with church okay. and things like that. You know, because being a PK, you just naturally have to do that. And I went to this youth conference and someone laid hands on me and I was out for an hour, I think they said. Yeah. And I was like, why didn't y'all call the ambulance? <laughs> right? why didn't y'all, I was like laid a, out on the altar. Get a pulse on you. Yeah, they had a sheet <laughs> over me and everything. I was just laid out and I was like, why didn't y'all call the ambulance? It's like, I've been here for an hour. <laughs> and they say, you were talking the whole time. And I was like, really? What was I saying? They say, you were saying, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Oh, wow. And you said that over and over again for an hour. And it was like, at that moment, God put fire in my mouth. Hmm. It's never been, I've never been the same. I went back home and the next day I went back home and they were asking the youth to give testimonies about the youth conference and everything. And I grabbed the mic and I preached and I was not intending to. And I didn't know what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. And the words just started coming, just fire just started coming out of my mouth. Two months later, I preached my first sermon. Even in the midst of that, I told God, I don't want to preach and yeah. I don't want to do ministry, you know, because I had so much church hurt from being Even after pastor. that encounter. Even after yeah. that encounter, I was mm-hmm. like, God, I'll go be a missionary. I'll go do street preaching. I'll do evangelism. I'll, you know, be in the marketplace. I'll do, you know, kind of. This business hybrid or sports broadcasting and also share my faith or be an apologetics guy or whatever. And I was like, God, just don't call me to preach. Just whatever you do, don't Mm -hmm. call me to preach. And, you know, you tell God your plans and he laughs. (laughs) (laughs) So that's exactly what I was called to do. But in the meantime, I didn't know that that's where God was leading me. Yeah. And so I asked God, what am I supposed to be doing with these gifts that you've given me? The fact that I'm trying to run from being a pastor and being in ministry. And God said, you're supposed to communicate in all these forms. So that's radio, television, poems, writing books, all that. God told me all that. I wrote it down. I remember where I was. And almost all of that's come true. To the T on your resume on like all that you've done. I'm amazed when we hear stories like that because when you're talking about feeling the fire in your mouth, mm-hmm. you'll have to help me because I'm forgetting the name of the, the man. But do you remember when John the Baptist's father, mm-hmm. like, yeah. and God closed his yeah. mouth? Yeah. That still happens today? Yes. That's incredible. Yes. I truly believe that if I tried to do something else, I truly believe this. Um, and I don't believe this in a superstitious or mysterious way, but I truly believe that if I just, if I tried to do something else, I'd lose my voice. Uh-huh. If I literally went out and said, I'm going to go be a carpenter, I'm going to go be a plumber, I'm going to go do this, that I would lose my voice. Yeah. <laughs> That's how much I feel God has put fire in my bones. Yeah. So what does that look like practically being 19 when you mm-hmm. get a call from the Lord? Because I think there's many of us who feel like we've heard something or we're drawn to a certain people group or ministry mm-hmm. or vocation. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like practically when you're like, okay, God, I hear you. What's next? So I think some of us, we have what we desire in us. And then we have what we want to hear from God, uh-huh. right? So there's what I want and then my concern about what God wants. question I, I, I'm asking young people now and young adults is, what if what you want is what God wants? And what if there isn't a difference between what you want and what God is going to say to you? And I think sometimes we hear this phrase of, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart. I grew up hearing God doesn't just give us what we desire, but also 
what we should desire. Hmm. So that God doesn't get, just give you what you desire, but what to desire as well. So that the native desires of my heart are how God has created me. And I think we over-spiritualize it. So follow what you are passionate about. So I just continued to do what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually act on that till two years later. And so two years later, I had the opportunity to start a TV show. You know, two years later, I had the opportunity to come on staff. I came on staff and started a TV show a week apart. At New Dimensions? Yes, at New Dimensions. That was a complete accident. Wow. So I was at um, Liberty University and God basically kept me up for four days straight. No sleep. The first night he kept me up, he said, you're not supposed to be here anymore. Like at the college? At the college. Oh I was gosh. a senior double major, about to be an RA, doing well. That was my cane in place to me. Mm-hmm. Like that was a place where I felt like I was flourishing and doing so well. And so I called my dad the next morning. I was like, yeah, I couldn't sleep last night. He's like, why? I was like, God told me I'm not supposed to be here anymore. And so he's running the gambit of all the questions. Okay, did you, <laughs> are you on drugs? Like, <laughs> You know, you trouble with the law. Did you get someone pregnant? Like all these questions. I'm like, dad, no, I'm great. Like, you know me, I'm good. (laughs) And he's like, all right, well, your mom and I'll pray and you pray. And if the message is sync, then we'll see what we need to do from there. I was praying. And at the same time, I was waiting for a scholarship to come through. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for some money to come through that was going to allow me to finish my last year of college. So I was waiting for money to come through. And the third day, me fasting and praying, not sleeping, being before the Lord, the scholarship closed. And it was inexplicable because I had all the qualifications, all the credentials, everything. And somebody said, you're going to get it. The door slammed in my face. And God told me, I told you you're not supposed to be here anymore. And I was like, God, but what am I going to do? Were you heartbroken? I was devastated. Anybody who knows me at that time knows how deep it was. People people have no idea. Because you committed three years. Oh, my or goodness. three and a half, I'm sure, like if, depending on where you were in your senior year. I thought I was going to live there. I thought that was going to be my place. Yeah. Um, and now I look back and laugh. Uh, I would have been miserable. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> you know, I, I said, God, what do you want me to say? Go home. And so I said, okay. So I figured I was going to go home, work for six months, save some money, then come back. Went home. First week I got home, our youth pastors resigned. My gosh. No preparation, no talks, no nothing. They just came in and handed their resignation. My parents prayed and they were like, hey, we feel like this might be you. And I said, I'm not really qualified for this. Or, you know, like, y'all, you've been doing youth ministry for I don't know how long. You can do this. <laughs> that same week, a guy locally in the city said, hey, you remember that radio show you wanted to start? Why don't you start a TV show? I heard you're back in town. Why don't you start a TV show? I was like, man, I don't really do TV. And he's like, Write up the proposal and we'll see if it makes sense. And so I wrote up the proposal. It made sense. And so I started as youth pastor. And a week later, I started a TV show. What was your TV show? It was called The Antidote. Yeah, it still runs uh, locally. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was based on two premises, Christ is a Cure for Culture and Conversations Create Fertile Ground for Change. So essentially, The Antidote was a TV show where I would bring in kids from the community and I would just invite them to come be a part of the audience. But what they didn't know is it's a reverse talk show. So oh my gosh. They didn't know that they were the ones who were going to be talking. And my role was just to facilitate a conversation amongst them. And the unique thing is they didn't know what the topic was until the cameras came on. That's brilliant. You know, it was actually chaotic. It worked <laughs> out well. So it's basically built on my ability to steer a conversation and the trust that I have in the spirit that he yeah. would get us to the right place at the end. So I was like, man, I got 2830 to have the best conversation on this particular topic. It could be anything. I prepared beforehand, but they didn't know. We did that show for six or seven years. That's when it started for me. But long story short, the point is you follow what is your passion and you cling to what God has told you and then you do what's native to you. 
Mm. I think we over-spiritualize it. So if you like words and if words are your thing, you know God has called you to communication. Keep doing what you love. Yeah. <laughs> and then God will open up the doors. I think we worry about doors that God has called for us to open. God is like, just walk to the next door and I'll open it. I want to talk about race and reconciliation. Yeah, far away. When you were moving into that being a youth minister and being more heavily involved in ministry, was that topic something that you were open to discussing? Because I see pastors who pastor, Mm -hmm. and they do address that topic, hopefully. But what I don't often see is that they hold both being the president of the Witness Black Christian Collective, and then like also pastoring a church. Like, Why was that the lane for you? It was not at first. And I'll say I went through three waves. My interaction with race has always kind of been rooted in my history, in my family's history. Mm -hmm. So my father came from Meridian, Mississippi, when he was 18 years old, to attend Liberty Bible College locally, now defunct Liberty Bible College. He was a black man in a predominantly white setting, Mm -hmm. right? And so his interaction and introduction to Jesus, his discipleship, his theological training was all from the hands of and from the minds of white Christian leaders. And so he went from Liberty Bible College to being assistant pastor of Liberty Northeast for 10 years. And so he was, again, a black pastor in a white setting. When he started our church in 1992 on Easter Sunday, one of the things he desired was to have a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Yeah. So as that's happening, again, our church is very black in how it expressed itself. It was, uh, you know, multicultural, multi-ethnic, white pastors, other ethnicity pastors on staff, but was very black in its expression, black in how he preached, etc. Growing up in that very black setting, I also had to attend a school that was very white. The school had different doctrine than what my church did. Oh, wow. So my church was Pentecostal and my school was Independent Fundamental Baptist. Essentially, I would celebrate Jesus on Sunday, and then Monday through Friday hear a different version of the gospel. And actually, the people in those settings telling me implicitly or explicitly that the way I worshiped on Sunday was wrong. It was a violation of God's commands because it was culturally expressive. And so that led to a lot of confusion. I'm like, who's right? Um, I'm spending way more time at school than I am at church. So who's right? And who's telling me the truth, essentially? And so that was the first wave, this kind of cultural identity confusion. Now, I go to Liberty. And when I went to Liberty, after transferring from PCC, my first semester there was the first Obama election. So being in that space, I'm trying to navigate this as what I thought at the time was my political leaning and my social leaning. And also the nature of I feel split between my black friends and my white friends. And so I'm navigating this. So I'm further into confusion. At the time, though, while I would lead conversations about this or talk about it, I didn't have an assuredness of who I was as a man. Yeah, because I can imagine you felt like you were in two different worlds and conflicting both. And more so, you know, there is something, you know, Carter G. Woodson calls it the miseducation of the Negro. Carter G. Woodson is... um, a, you know, a black historical figure and was kind of known for being the progenitor of what we now know as Black History Month. It was actually called Negro History Week for years before it actually moved into Black History Month. He calls it the miseducation of the Negro. I was taught to hate myself. And I was taught to think that my cultural expression and the way that I carried myself was offensive to God and was inferior to white people. 
And so being taught that implicitly, and a lot of people didn't know they were teaching it. So being taught that implicitly, I didn't feel led to have any conversations about this because I thought my blackness was incidental, not intentional. So I thought that God had just happened to accidentally create me black, not that he had intentionally created me black for his glory, mm-hmm. you know, the Act 17 idea. And so because of that, I was confused, but I didn't really want to have any of these conversations until 2014. And when Mike Brown was killed, I remember putting something up on Facebook mm-hmm. and just saying, this is so sad. And, you know, I hate this, praying for everybody involved, etc. And the vitriol that I received was so sharp. Uh, it was so overwhelming. And I remember thinking, what did I do? I'm a communicator. Yeah. So I think about what I say before I say it. I was like, what did I do? What did I say? And people were telling me stuff that I didn't say. And I'm like, I didn't say any of that. Like, what, what is this? What, what are you talking about? And it made me ask the questions that started to unravel my understanding of the American church yeah. and understanding of race in the context of my identity. And so that led me into a very deep dive that transitioned me into the lane that I'm in now. Before 2014, I didn't want to be in that lane. That was the last thing I wanted to do was have conversations about blackness and Christianity and racism and reconciliation. I hate though. I hated those conversations. Uh-huh. But again, now my my education, my personal education and development now is leading into the education and development of other people. And so God was like, you have to talk about it. You don't have any other choice. Yeah. Do you feel that way when you talked about if I stop communicating, like God would like remove his hand from that blessing? Yeah. Do you feel that way about that topic? Yeah, I do. I believe I have been called to uplift and encourage black Christians. I do believe I've been called to that. I've mm-hmm. been called to my kinsmen according to the flesh. doesn't mean that I'm, I have a segregated call because we have white members at our church, mm-hmm. but my call is uh, intentional. And intentional doesn't mean exclusive. I have been called for that. I have been called to walk with people through their own personal development and their own identity as, and teach them that their blackness is not offensive to mm-hmm. God. I do think there's a sense in which that's the truth. You know, who knows in 10, 15 years that call may shift and it may expand and the conversation will probably look totally different than it does now. Um, But right now, it would be wrong for me to deny that. What do you do when that gets too heavy, when you can't handle walking Mm -hmm. with people? That's a great (laughs) question. You know, I think it's so important for people to have community. I have a community. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like to say private community leads to public confidence. That's good. That's gold. That's true. It's my community and my group chats that keep me bolstered. That's the place where I vent. I don't vent publicly. I vent to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So people are like, don't you get frustrated when people say these things? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, but you don't see it. (laughs) You know, I vent privately and to those five or six people who care about me, who love me, that's what gives me the public confidence to step out. And I think when you don't have a community of people where you can bear the burden with, I mean, people like Jamar, people like Akemini, uh, Ray, Brad, um, Christina Edmondson, mm-hmm. you know, people like yeah. that. Those, those people are my venting spaces. And I'm able to offload all my frustration to them. They receive it. And then they steer me in the right way. They tell me, hey, this isn't, and it's symbiotic. It's not like this is like the counseling group, right? This yeah. is, we're friends. But those people help to keep my uh, confidence high. Yeah. And that's what gives me the strength to help. But there are days where I, 
I don't feel like I can go on. There are plenty of days where I'm like, I'm, I'm done with this. There are plenty of days where I'm like, I would rather do anything else than talk about this. And people just think you just wanted to stir stuff up. And th- I'm like, if there's something else I could talk about, I would. But I cannot get away from this because it's what God has put inside of me. So I must deliver it. Would I rather please God or please people? Why was hosting a podcast, co-hosting podcast, the best next step for you? How did you connect with Jamar? And it is amazing what you guys are doing. And honestly, like to me, I think like revolutionary. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. 2012, I met Jamar at a conference. It was actually Reach Records was doing a man up conference. And I took a group of our young men up there to Atlanta. I was kind of getting conference blues. You know how you've gone through session after session oh, yeah. and it all starts here like, you know. Drains that weird energy yeah, you didn't know like, existed. You know, <laughs> you know, just now you're, you're hearing all the words kind of bleed together and you're not really listening. So I was walking around and I walked to the boobs. I was looking at different seminaries and I heard someone come up behind me and say, hey, you think about seminary? I turned around, it was Jamar. You know, I was like, ah, I don't know, man. So we started talking. Long story short, we talked for an hour. And it was in immense chemistry. It was like we could finish each other's sentences. There was understanding. And he was telling me about this group that he was starting. At the time, it was called the Reformed African American Network. And so I was like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey, man, if you come to one of these conferences, just, you know, come to our booths, come to our tables, you know, we'd love to connect with you, love to talk. I was like, okay, cool. And so a year later, I see him again at another conference. They invited me to Jackson, Mississippi, where they were doing a relaunch of that collective, that group. Okay. And so I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I'll see what I can do. And at the time, nobody had asked me what I was gifted in. So nobody asked me about communication, anything. Mm, not even in that conversation that you that had at the conference. None okay. of it. They hadn't really asked me. And so I was like, man, I'll help out there. Like, can you, can you help with social media and stuff? I'm like man, sure, that kind of sounds like fun and, you know, life. And I started doing a little bit of it, then stopped. And they were like, can you write a little bit? I was like, okay, you know, I'll write an article here and there. So I did mm-hmm. a little bit of it, it stopped. And then in 2014, they approached me and said, hey, we're shifting co-hosts at Pass the Mic. You've been a guest on this podcast for three or four episodes. Why don't you come on full time as a co-host? Three or four, you're invested. <laughs> yeah, like it was, real, yeah. it was real small. Like it was yeah. a real small sample size. And they were like, why don't you just come on and be co-host? And I told them no. I was like, no, thanks. I said, I don't have capacity for a podcast. Yeah. Were you mm-hmm. pastoring at that time too? Well, I was on staff. Okay, yeah. so that's I've been, right. Mm-hmm. I've been on staff for yeah. 10 years at the church. And so I was like, oh, I don't think I have capacity for this. They were like, okay, just think about it, pray about it. And essentially they wouldn't take no for an answer. And then I remember, I think it was Christmas in 2014 or something, that Christmas episode. Bo and Jamar got on the mic afterwards, after the recording, and basically like tag team on me. And they were like, man, you, you're going to take this podcast to another level if you come on and join and you can do this, you can do that. And I reluctant, I remember I said, all right, I'll give it a try. And now five years later, <laughs> you know. So we started recording. We recorded every week for three years and we built up an um, insane chemistry. It's been phenomenal to see. And now thousands of people listen to the podcast. I have no idea why, Um, but I feel like people feel that this is the space where they can be and belong. Yeah. And I had no idea any of that was going to happen. So I kind of tripped into it. And then because of that, I discovered an intense love for podcasts. And that's why I host so many, help so many with that. It's interesting, though, how you felt such loss in 2014 with Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. And then, like, at that same year, like, something was born. That's exactly what happened. I mean, it was something in me that I started to speak. And they would always kind of tilt their head and, like, look at me because I would speak so directly. Yeah. 
and I didn't grow up in the same world that they grew up in. It was kind of like an odd couple because I'm the Pentecostal guy mm-hmm. and Jamar is the Presbyterian guy. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, how is this working? <laughs> like, you got a Presbyterian and a Pentecostal. How are they? You all have such good chemistry on air, though. I listen to a lot of podcasts where there's a co-host and sometimes you can just tell where some people have it. And I feel like y'all have that it factor. No, that's encouraging, but I think it's because we're friends. Uh-huh. Like we're actually friends. Yeah. We've been through a lot together. We walked through a ton together. Man, Jamar was there when I was like, man, I don't think I can lead this church. I was there when Jamar was like, I don't think I can write this book. Uh, yeah, now he's a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, seriously, he was not going to write that book. People do not know that. he was not. This book almost did not get written. It is one of the most important books in the history of the church. Yeah, The Color of Compromise. Yeah, Everyone run and get it. Don't it's walk. Incredible. And so... But I think because we've been through so much together, there is a sense in which hopping on the mic is just an extension of our relationship Mm -hmm. off the mic. I'm glad people can pick up on that chemistry. Totally. It's so evident. Because that's true for us. That's true as brothers. Explain for our friends what a Christian collective is, if you don't mind. Originally, what the name of our organization was the Reformed African American Network. In 2017, we changed it to the Witness of Black Christian Collective for a number of reasons. The Reformed label was not as true for us anymore Uh um, as a group and we did not want to limit our effectiveness and our reach to reformed theology people reformed theologians Mm -hmm. we wanted to expand it and so for us we wanted to come up with a name that kept the same unashamed Christian perspective but also an unapologetic blackness we changed it from the reformed African American network to the witness a black Christian collective Mm -hmm. there is a sense in which witnesses and bearing witness is a staple of both the Christian faith and also the black experience in America. And so what we desire to do at The Witness is uh, we desire to educate, encourage, and empower black Christians to be free in their souls and their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, we felt like we did not want to have an exclusive club, but we wanted to have an inclusive space for black Christians to come and be a part of a movement. So when we say the collective, we don't just believe that the collective is Jamar and I or Um, Jamar, I, and Ali, or whoever is on the team, we believe that the collective is the great cloud of witnesses, the expansive group of black Christians who have gone before us and those who are passing the baton to us now and the people who will pass the baton on to um, in the coming years. It's an invitation for people to join the journey toward freedom, toward what it looks like to be fully themselves, to be holistically seen and valued and loved as both Christian and black. And in my case, I want to be an accomplice. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. I> do. <laughs> we welcome that. Yeah. No, we welcome that. We do. I mean, and I think it's it's hard for people to understand, but I think a lot of times people, and, and people told me this for years, pastors told me this for years, that if you talk about black stuff, you're just going to be seen as the guy who's talking about black stuff. And it's going to diminish your effectiveness to reach white Christians or, you know, Christians of other ethnicities. And that has not been the case. I was going to ask you if you felt like that was true. <laughs> it has not been the case at all. It's actually exponentially increased what I'm capable of doing because I'm confident and secure in who God has created me to be. Mm-hmm. And people are attracted to and they are liberated by the confidence of someone else. Yeah. And the confidence of someone else gives them confidence to walk alongside them. And that's what it's been for me. Watching you speak to our community, I don't know how you do it because I feel like there's been so many... I don't know how to even say it because I feel like I watched part of it had like the privilege of like watching some of it this past year where like Mm -hmm. you just like hop on an Instagram live you would not stop talking even when things got really hard I want to personally thank you for that and Mm -hmm. like I have like a circle of friends who they're like tell him thank you 
not only is like what you do every day like so brave and so bold I, it was just sometimes when I would see like you continue to talk I was like I don't know how that he's him and Jamar and your family how you can pastor people when I'm sure that you just like had had felt everything so deep wow thank you that's really encouraging I do want to say again I stand in a very expansive tradition you asked a question earlier you said I don't know how many people I've seen pastor and lead an organization I don't yeah I know so many because I grew up and I stand in the line of black clergy who their Christian faith always affected the community. And so they taught people to love God and love neighbor, which led to social impact, whether that's Dr. King, whether that's Samuel DeWitt Proctor, Gardner Taylor, J.D. Otis Roberts, uh, people like Fannie Lou Hamer, Sojourner Truth, Ida yeah. B. Wells. Yeah. I stand in that tradition of people who didn't just proclaim Jesus on Sunday, but proclaim the ethical implications of his gospel Monday through Saturday. And not only that, but I stand in a tradition of people here in Pensacola who did the same. Um, I'm proud to be from Pensacola and I'm proud of the black history of Pensacola. I'm proud um, to be in the same city as people like uh, John Sunday and Julie Panton and uh, Reverend H.K. Matthews and Zebulon Elijah. The black history of Pensacola is people standing in the face of resistance. So when you see a graffiti bridge protest, and when you see the multi-ethnic nature of that, when you see the power of that, that's in the roots of Pensacola. Mm. Racism is in the roots of Pensacola, but the resistance to racism is in the roots. I feel as well like I'm not standing in my own strength. I'm standing in the strength of, of God's spirit and also the people who have come before me. I draw strength yeah. from their example. So when people are like, man, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, man, I know so many people who did more under worse conditions than me. And so it's my reasonable service to speak. It's my reasonable service to show up. It's my reasonable service to push for justice in the local community. You really have like, sorry, I like I'm struggling to find words to say this, but I will say like the first time I heard you speak, God like shifted something inside my heart. I'm going to be just very transparent yeah, yeah. for our friends. But first of all, you did talk about the princes, Prince of Egypt. And I was like, I yeah, grew up on that movie. That soundtrack <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I grew up listening to that. And I was like, I already love him already. He's great. One of the things that you talked about, and I'm just, I want to lay this out practically. So yeah. like some of our friends can just hear some of the things that you're talking about, but also just to see like the heart change on the other side. So one of the things that you talked about was when when others use like a term to describe a neighborhood as like, oh, that's like a shady neighborhood or that's a bad neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Saying it out of habit, saying it out of hate, whatever you say it as, mine was out of ignorance and um, out mm -hmm. of habit. When I heard that, like my heart broke because I didn't realize the death that I was speaking mm -hmm. over people mm -hmm. that I genuinely care about and would never, ever think less of. I heard that and I was, I had a moment where I was like, God, like, I'm so sorry. I would never want to say that to any one of your kids. It's moments like that, that I am so grateful for you having the hard conversations, mm -hmm. like stepping on people's toes to wake up. This is not a, uh, an isolated problem. Like this is a humanity conversation. Yeah. And so I just wanted to thank you. Oh, that's an honor. It's an honor to hear that. Uh, I appreciate you saying that and being honest with that. And it's it's something we're all guilty of. I think we all claim to believe something that we don't live. And every single one of us is guilty of proclaiming an ethic and then failing to live out that ethic. 
that we proclaim. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the core ethics is, is our gospel only for the spirit or does the gospel that saves the soul also liberate the body? That's good. And what most of us don't realize is that that's a theological issue. That's not a cultural issue. That's a theological blind spot. So historically in the American church, historically in the church cross the country, and especially in Pensacola as well, I'll say it. The church has been great at proclaiming a Jesus that is only for a few, that is mm. only for the privileged and the powerful. And it has not been good news to the poor and the oppressed. It has not been good news to those who are in disadvantaged and under-resourced communities. 32505 right now, if you Google the statistics, 32505, the, the infant mortality rate, the life expectancy rate, the ability for people to receive quality, children to receive quality education, the amount of money that is um, passed in those communities is drastically different than the rest of the city of Pensacola. And that's no accident. There's roots in that. There's roots to the history of Pensacola. And so for me, it is impossible for us not to do theology and not consider the context of history mm -hmm. that has influenced the way in which people live. When I heard someone say, oh, that's the bad neighborhood. I always carry a gun. I said, my mom grew up in that neighborhood. And so because my mother grew up in that neighborhood, I'm thankful <laughs> for that neighborhood because she came out of that neighborhood and she still loves that neighborhood as well. And it reminds me so much of how people typecast Jesus. Oh, it's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Mm -hmm. Well, how many people have come from whatever our Nazareth is, quote unquote, and have failed to be considered and seen as valuable, has failed to be considered and seen as leaders. And we as the church haven't, haven't given them the space to affirm their own dignity. We haven't given them a chance, not just to exist and to flourish, but also to be leaders as well. Because mm -hmm. that's different. Like there's a lot of people who are present, but can those people who are present also lead? Yeah. And that's the great question that we have to ask ourselves. Hey again, friends. I'm interrupting my conversation with Tyler to talk with you about the podcast. If you are loving what you are hearing and want more, you have three other seasons of Still With You available right now. It's simple. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or find Still With You on iHeartRadio or other sources like Google Play Music. We're also on Podbean if you have that app. Why wait? Binge all of your favorite interviews by subscribing to the show. You never know who might be on on here and of course I would always love to hear your feedback so if you would love to rate and review the podcast that is always welcome thank you so much you don't have to answer this question um, I'm gonna answer all the questions I, but I, this, this one I just don't know are you gonna write a book are you working on like where you yeah. like sharing your story you um, are yeah oh my gosh yeah I'm working on, well I'm working on a this is, I don't know if I should say this. That's why I asked you. No, it's funny. Can I, share I don't know if I should not? say this because not, not because it's, it's betraying anything, but because it's going to hold me accountable. <laughs> but I'm working on a book proposal right now. Oh it's my not, gosh. It's not signed or anything. So I'm not going to say the title or whatever, but I'm working on a book proposal right now. So if by the time this episode comes out, January. I have not signed. <laughs> I have not signed a deal. Hold me accountable. But yes, I am working on a book project right now. What a lot of people don't know is that I, I am a book writer. So that's that is what I do um, on the side. I'm bivocational as a pastor. Yeah. So I've written quite a few books. One of them that's actually getting ready to come out is a study guide that Jamar and I did for the Color of Compromise. Uh -huh. We wrote together. Um, and I've written quite a few other books that people don't know about. So yeah. <laughs> Why don't we know about them? Are they on Amazon? Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to highlight that. I'm going to look it up now. Well, I'll just say I am, you know, that's part of that is the deal that I have with the people. So I'm a ghostwriter. So, you know, that is secret. That's private. So the books don't have your name on them? Yeah, they don't. But one does. Okay, well, I'll find that one. Well, what I do know is that you're in a circle of writers and authors and also you just collaborated with Lecrae to write I Am Restore, yeah. which it is amazing. He has been someone who's ministered to me since mm-hmm. I was young, and I've loved his work and his just everything about what he's doing. It's funny because in the book, some of the things that he talks about, I'm like, oh, I remember standing in college when I looked at that social media post that he shared. Yeah. Or like, I remember yeah. watching him walk through that from yes. a bar. And so thank you for helping him share that oh, story because through the literary process and just the vulnerability, like that's awesome what y'all are doing. Yeah, that's, that's- that's Lecrae. I give Lecrae all the, the credit in the world and the kudos for being brave enough to share his story. And it was my honor to help him a little bit with that. That's my brother. Mm-hmm. And he's been through so much. And a lot of the same things that he's been through, I've been through. It was my joy. Um, everybody should go get the book, I Am Restored. Yes. It's phenomenal. He was extremely vulnerable. And I give him so much respect for being as transparent as he was was willing to be. Well, I'm excited now to know that you are working on a proposal. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Like, I felt, I felt it like in my spirit. I was like, how is it possible that he has all of these friends who are writers and like they're not pushing him to go it on uh, his own? They have. You know, my thing is, I, I said, I'll write a book when I have a concept that I can't get away from. And mm. I think I have a concept I can't get away from. So oh, that's so exciting. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. And Lord willing, you know, I get that opportunity. Yeah. But all in this time, I'm not rushing it. I have so many other things going on that I'm like, I'd prefer, you know, to not have writing deadlines for a 60,000 word book. But hey, if that's what we need to do, I'm excited for it. Well, now we know how to pray for you, too. Yes, please, that, please. Is there anything else that we can like, as people are hearing this in their car, their treadmill, like, what is it that you and Mylena need prayer for or um, your church or just yeah. what do you see that we can lift up this year? I really appreciate um, that question. And for me, I'm always trying to live the things that I say. And I'm always trying to have revelation and understanding from God as to how to serve God's people well. God's people, my call starts at home. So that's with my wife and my two children, uh, Trinity and Benaya. Malina and I desire to love our kids well and desire for our kids to grow up in a place where they don't have to compete with ministry or anything else, that we would continue to maintain that discipline to love our kids well. And then that extends to God's people. Uh, I love New Dimensions. It's my dream church. (laughs) I enjoy being around all of them. And so my desire is that we as a church would grow more in understanding of what God has called for us to do, big shifts and changes coming for our church. And so as we navigate that, I want us to do that well. I want us to do that wisely. Um, And then the the community of faith that follows that I would be able to continually hear from the spirit of God to say what needs to be said, keep my mouth shut when it needs to be shut, Mm -hmm. and that I would be consistent in all things. So that's my desire, my hope. I think if people pray for my integrity and my character, that God will fill in all the rest. Yeah. Well, I'm actually getting ready to ask you if you could pray for us in a second. But before I do that, is there anything that you want to add? And like, I also want to say thank you for doing this. I was shocked when you were like, yeah, I have time for this. So thank you. No, it's my joy. No, this is incredible. I always want to put on for people in Pensacola. And I've listened to your podcast before you even asked. Oh, gosh. (laughs) 
it's a it's a great product. It's a great product podcast. Thank and you've you. interviewed so many different types of people that um, it's my joy. Anytime anybody from Pensacola asks them, we have so many mutual friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm like, man, of course, this sounds phenomenal. And uh, so I just want to support the home team always. Oh, so. thank you so much. Well, this is the first episode of my season four. And something that God like laid on my heart since I had a season two <laughs> was that I just want to give him the first fruits of every season. And like, mm-hmm. I believe fully in that of like tithing financially, tithing time. Yeah. And tithing like the first of product. And so I wanted to invite you Mm -hmm. on here because of what I've talked about, like you just being so intentional and ministering to my family personally and our city. I'm really grateful for that. I'm humbled by that. That is, it's an honor to be the first of anything. So to be the first, you know, episode in the season of a great podcast is is my honor as well. Mm -hmm. The podcast is called Still With You. And so I always close by asking Mm -hmm. this and you can answer this however you want, but like, where is God still with you? I believe that God is still with me in the noise. God is the stillness and the still small voice in the noise. And I've seen that as busy and as hectic as my life can get and as tumultuous as the culture can get, that in the quiet moments of silence, God is always there. Yeah. And in the midst of that silence, if I listen, he's still speaking. Well, I can definitely tell he's always speaking through you and your team and your family. And I mean it, like when I say thank you for what you guys are doing and what you continue to do. Thank you so much, Coley. It's it's my honor. It's my honor. If you don't mind, could you close us and just like ask a blessing on this season and just like for God to move because it's all about him. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. We've never needed you more than we need you right now. God, we are facing so many things in our culture, in our world, in our personal lives. Pain, loss, uncertainty, grief. And even those things which are positive, God, we always have this creeping question in the back of our heads, will it last? Yeah. And we need you to be our peace. We need you to be our satisfaction. God, I thank you for a powerful podcast, the medium of words, God. You said to your prophet Isaiah that I've put my words in your mouth and Mm. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. And God, I thank you that you have put your words in Coley's mouth. You've covered her with the shadow of your hand. God, now would you strengthen the work of her hands? Would you enlarge her territory? Would you bless this podcast? May this podcast experience uncommon, unusual favor. May the people who listen to this podcast be liberated and set free. Thank you, God. Be allowed to see a side of your word, your will, and your way, your character that they wouldn't have before. God, would you even open up special storehouses of understanding and Mm. revelation so that Coley would know what conversations to have at the right time, the Kairos moments, God. And Father, even as she speaks, even as she leads, I pray that you would increase her as well in the midst of it, not just the product, but her as well. God, there's so much that you have called for her to do. There are yet doors that are still coming to be opened. There are connections she's about to walk into that she doesn't even know about yet, that she doesn't even comprehend. And she's going to look around and ask, how did I get here? God, I pray that she would constantly give glory and honor and credit to you. And I pray that you would walk through those doors confidently, knowing those who you call are also the ones who qualify. Thank you, God. We thank you for this. I pray that your word and your example would be the light to her feet and would guide her way. The steps of a good woman are ordered by the Lord. We thank you for these things. And we thank you that you are still with us. Yeah, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. In your name, amen.
What an incredible opportunity to be able to speak with Pastor Tyler Burns. I cannot say it enough that he is so full of wisdom. He's incredibly brave and I am learning so much from his leadership. If you would love to connect with him yourself, you can find him on social media. His handle is BurnsClan underscore, but you can simply search Tyler Burns. Tyler is involved with so many organizations, platforms, and books. I am going to have all of the links bundled up for you in the show notes on my website coleybrowning.com you can find Lecrae's new book I Am Restored I'll connect you with Pass the Mic Chasing Justice New Dimensions Christian Center all of the many things you will find them again at my website coleybrowning.com on social media my handle is coleybrowning I would love to connect with you here where you are listening from and just share your feedback from the podcast it is so good to be back season 4 here we go next week on the show you're going to be hearing from my friend Rachel Autry and she is bringing us some things we can learn behind the bliss. I will see you again soon next Tuesday. Until then, be bold, be brave, be you, and remember that he is still with you.